This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. One of the great things about summertime, among many, is that school is out, and that allows Christian teenagers to go to camp or to attend conferences that will build them up in their faith. And of course, this year, it's going to be a little bit more complicated. And for Summit Ministries, that means making some changes that will ensure that it can continue to equip high school and college students throughout the summer with its biblical worldview training. And that is why Summit has developed a brand new five-day online interactive and live experience Experience. They're calling it Summit Virtual. It will launch on May 25th, and we're going to find out more about it now from Dr. Jeff Myers, president of Summit Ministries. Jeff, so great to talk to you again. How are you? Hi, Janet. Very well. Thank you. Good. Well, how are you doing with this pandemic? I've heard from a lot of people who are in ministry. We're having this challenge and that challenge. What have some of the challenges been for Summit during this period of time? Well, let me first say that at the outset, on the first day of quarantine, I called a meeting with our team virtually through Zoom, and (laughs) I told them there are two principles that will guide everything we do. Number one, from Hebrews, we are not of those who shrink back. And number two, from Philippians, that we press on toward Christ's high calling. Great. With those two things in mind, then we began to rethink how we deliver our our training programs, young adults going off to college this fall. So the, the, one of the challenges that we faced in the process, obviously, is the, the funding. Um, so that's, that's always a challenge. I think the second one was just trying to ask the question, how do we best serve parents in this time? Hmm. Developing a virtual program, is kind, it kind of makes sense, but it's not all that intuitive if you realize that every kid has been on their computer nonstop <laughs> since March, and yeah. they're a little sick of it, right? The whole room-to-Zoom thing just causes them to roll their eyes. Yeah. So with those things in mind, we asked, how can we develop something that's totally different, that's fun and exciting and interactive, and actually creates community among Christian young people all over the world? Well, that is a challenge for you because you're known for your conferences that you hold during the summer. And for people who aren't familiar with those different conferences that you hold throughout the summer months, tell them a little bit about what you do for students when you are able to be live. Sure. Well, you know, Summit Ministries equips and supports rising generations. We work with 16 to 25-year-olds mostly to do two things. Number one, to embrace God's truth, and number two, to champion a biblical worldview. So students come to our sessions, they're 12 days long, and in person, and we put them into contact with world-class Christian thought leaders, best-selling authors, people who are experts in various areas where we know these young adults will be challenged for their faith. They have the opportunity to listen to them, gain teaching from them, but also interact with them personally, and, and then work through small groups and one-on-one mentoring to, to really learn how to 
make a Christian worldview their own, not just something that they heard in church that they're kind of going to put in their bag when they come to college, but that they'll actually make it their own and become the kind of leaders we need for these times. That's our whole aim. Well, that's perfect. And that's exactly what teenagers need today and students going on to college because there's so many challenges and I want to get into some of those. But how are you planning on offering Summit Virtual? Because I know that you are worried about, not worried, but when you talk about Zoom or Vimeo or some of those platforms, you really want to go beyond those typical platforms. How are you planning on doing that? Well, there are several things. First, we developed our own platform. So it has, it has the high video quality of Vimeo, but it's secure, whereas Zoom is not. Yes. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, and it's also very, it's interactive. So, so for example, a, a speaker will be speaking they'll 20, for 25 minutes, then they'll have some kind of a significant transition, you know, pop in surprise visits from celebrities, um, raffles and, you know, questionnaires and quizzes. And, and then, for example, if, if a student hears a pro-life speaker, then they'll, we'll, we'll say to them, hey, go create a two-minute video with your phone about how you would communicate a pro-life message to somebody who doesn't believe that, and then send that to us. <laughs> and then we'll pick the top three videos, we'll play them a little bit later in the day, and then we'll, you know, there'll be prizes. So, it's gamified is the term that a lot of people use in the development area where there's something happening all of the time so that you cannot stop paying attention. It's just, it's really interesting. And, and it's personal too. You've got this, you know, best-selling author who's on the screen and you type in a question and all of a sudden they're answering it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Now, do you have your speakers all lined up for summit virtual who will be featured during these conferences online? We feature speakers like Jay Werner Wallace is one of them, Dr. Sean McDowell, who along with his dad, Josh McDowell, wrote the book Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, Christopher Yuan, who wrote the book Holy Sexuality, is one of our speakers as well. Dr. Frank Turek, who wrote the book I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And then we'll have, there, there are many, many others, but those are some of the core people. Uh, John Stone Street, who's from the Colson Center and does the Breakpoint radio broadcast. Most of your listeners are probably familiar with him. So those are the kinds of people that your kids get to interact with, not just that they get to watch YouTube videos from, but they actually get to talk to and communicate with. And then, of course, there are small groups and discussion groups that are all part of that, too. Um, You know, this next week on Thursday, I think it's the 20th, you can actually watch it. There will be a demonstration of how it works, and it's pretty cool. Oh, neat. So just go to summit.org slash virtual. That's fantastic. Yeah, the 20th. Yeah, I think that's Wednesday. So that would that would be perfect for people to kind of get an, a glimpse of what to expect. How much can you do on the Summit Virtual that would be the same that you would do in person? Clearly, there are going to be some differences. But content-wise, are you going to be able, you think, to provide the same sort of content that you could have done had you been able to go live? Well, we, we can't compress a 12-day program into five days. So we, we pick the very best of everything that we do and put that into five days. And then for the price of admission, students can earn up to three college credits for free. Great. So they will, in order to earn extra college credits, they watch additional talks that Summit Ministries has produced. They write a paper. They take a little test. They do some things that take the learning beyond the classroom and allow them to 
you know, sort of pursue what, well, what am I interested in? Am I interested my, are my friends socialists and I'm trying to figure out how to respond to them? Uh, do I need to understand pro-life? Is it that I have problems? I'm not really sure that the Bible is true, those kinds of things. And they can pick a track and then do some study on their own. So that's great. what we're finding is Summit Virtual doesn't replace the Summit it launches students, though, in a whole new way. Good. That's good. And I know there are so many students who look forward to that every summer. And that's also a way, I mean, this is a smaller matter, but to not let them down because there were so many families looking forward to being able to be a part of your conferences this summer. This is a great substitute given where we are right now. It is. It is. And it gives it gives students something to do this summer. When I say it's interactive, I mean, it, it's fun. You'll actually make friends from all around the world. There'd be small groups and discussion groups and things like that. And then um, and, and people who signed up not only get the college credits for free, but they, have, they have to earn them, obviously, but they, they're, they're available for free. But they also were saying, we'll give you $200 toward next summer. So go ahead and do this. Build anticipation for next summer. Go ahead and make some friends around the world who will stand with you in your faith. Get some great teaching and then come and join us in person next summer. Nice. That's really a nice deal. So breakout groups, you say, are still going to be a part of Summit Virtual? Because I would imagine that would be a little bit more tricky when you're doing it on the Internet. You know, for somebody my age, it, it seemed like it wouldn't work. But we have tested this over the last three or four weeks. And it is amazing how well young adults bond with one another online. And I, I kind of had a clue to this myself because a few years ago I helped develop some leadership courses for some big companies and, and uh, different academic institutions. And, and I met a student and he said, oh, you know, we're, we're having an in-person live event. And he said, uh, the, the, the van from the airport just pulled up outside and I need to go out there because my best friend is on that shuttle. And I said, really? Well, why do you need to go out there? I mean, you can see him when he comes in here. He said, well, I've never actually met him in person before. Oh. <laughs> the internet age. So true. Jeff Myers with us. We're going to pause for a short break. We'll talk more about what Summit Ministries is doing during this pandemic to continue its biblical worldview training through Summit Virtual. We'll come back on Janet Meffer today. Are you in need of a health care program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $199 per month, and there's no network so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance, so your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more by calling 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561. Or visit libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Here's Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, with an important update. COVID-19 is creating a surge in unplanned pregnancies as American children in place. 
Meanwhile, preborn crisis lines are flooded and we have quadrupled our patients seeking abortions. Your help is needed now more than ever as clinics had to cancel spring fundraisers. Would you consider sponsoring an ultrasound to introduce moms to their preborn babies? When a young mom sees her baby on ultrasound, she'll choose life 80% of the time. Preborn centers are the alternative to Planned Parenthood. And this May, through a challenge grant, Preborn is able to send $100,000 to clinics if this goal is reached. You can help. Call 855-402-BABY now. One ultrasound is just $28, but this challenge will double your efforts. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. Once again, call 855-402-BABY or there's a banner to click at Chan. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. Welcome back and thank you so much for joining us. Also joining us now, Dr. Jeff Myers, president of Summit Ministries. And we're talking a little bit about how they have pivoted and they will continue to offer their great biblical worldview training this summer, not with in-person conferences like they normally do for students, but through Summit Virtual. We're getting some details from Jeff about how that all will work. People can just go to summit.org. Is that right, Jeff, if they'd like to find out more about Summit Virtual and how to get signed up? Because I know you have different dates, don't you? Several different sessions. Right. There'll be four sessions of Summit Virtual. And, you know, we, we're, like other people, we're hoping that we'll be able to meet in person for the second half of our summer. Right. But we also want to be, we think it's polite to give people a month's notice. And so if we can't guarantee that we can have a program that, you know, that, that'll work and that where their kids will be safe within a month, then we go ahead and cancel that. So possibly we'll be meeting in July, but Summit virtual sessions will take place at least four times throughout the summer. Uh, The beauty of this is it's not bound by time or space. If we need to add additional weeks, we can all throughout the summer, all throughout the fall, over Christmas break, spring break. uh, I was just on on a video call with, with 50 different leaders in Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, and New Zealand. And so we'll be offering a special summit virtual for them Great. as well at some point here. So, uh, so yeah, summit.org slash virtual, or if you just go to summit, just remember summit.org, you'll find all the information you need about how to sign up for that program. We're looking for 16 to 25-year-olds uh, registration deadline for the first session, which begins on May 25th, as you mentioned, will be this coming Wednesday, May 20th. Okay. So take a close look at that, and uh, we want your son and daughter to be there. That's great. Well, and you cover so many good topics, I would say, here when I'm looking through your schedule, and this is right in line with a lot of the stuff that you've done in the past, and I, I can't help but thinking, Jeff, when I'm looking at your schedule, I, I know a lot of adults who probably would benefit from this kind of worldview training, but it, it does come down to worldview, and I know this is part and parcel of what Summit does is is inculcate a biblical worldview into these students. But when you're talking about truth changing everything, and this is one of the sessions mentioned on your schedule for Summit Virtual, you're doing an introduction to worldview. And I know this is really basic stuff, but for a lot of listeners, this might be a new concept. What exactly are we talking about when we are using the phrase biblical worldview as opposed to other sorts of worldviews? Mm-hmm. Well, the Bible reveals to us that Jesus is our Savior, but he also offers us a framework for understanding all of reality. So there's something in the Bible that has to do with creation versus evolution. There, uh, there are principles in the Bible that can guide us when we are making decisions about life and about economics and all of these other things. But just as there is a Christian worldview, 
There are also counterfeit worldviews that offer a substitute form of salvation. They have a different understanding of sin. You know, sin is that the, the rulers oppress the workers, or sin is that the religious people are evil and they're, they're making everybody else miserable, or whatever, you know, whatever it happens to be, they're counterfeit worldviews. So we tell students about those counterfeit worldviews and then how to respond to them so that they're not caught off guard, whether they're in class or in their residence hall or wherever they happen to be. And, you know, I, I think your point about adults was a real, is really important. It's not that we all want to be, get seminary degrees, but we don't want to look like fools <laughs> to, talking about Jesus when we're standing around the water cooler. Yep. We need basic answers and the ability to be curious and ask good questions and make people thoughtful so that they're drawn toward the gospel. Yeah, that's very true. You know, when you were talking earlier about socialism as an example of some of the ideas, the false ideas that are spreading throughout our culture right now, would you say that that would be the most threatening anti-Christian view that students are getting? Or would you say just the secular viewpoint in general is the more dangerous worldview? In other words, who would you put at the top of the list in terms of those who are professing a false worldview that is greatly influencing today's students? You know, it's, it's an interesting question that you asked, because when we did a test of our Summit Virtual the other day, that was one of the poll questions. Hmm. So, you, you know, every few minutes you're getting a question that you can answer to, and the results show up on the screen so you can see what all your fellow listeners are thinking. And they, that was their, their assessment was that secularism was the number one challenging worldview, and I think that is correct, because secularism says that if there is a God, he's not relevant to anything that's really important. In fact, it could be that God is evil and that that religious people are actually making things worse. When you you start to have that mindset in a society, and and I'm sure you've covered this on your show in the last few days, there are many governors who seem to have this mindset right (laughs) now. uh, That is extremely dangerous. But then from an economic viewpoint, any viewpoint that says that only the material world exists and ignores the role of imagination and inspiration and innovation, that uh, it, it says that you don't create wealth, you just take away wealth and redistribute it, you know, is a worldview based on, on, on theft. And as soon as, you, as soon as you end up in that kind of a world, it's very, very difficult for anybody to ever come out of poverty ever again. True. That's true. And and I like the way that you phrased, for example, this um, session you're going to have on the Marxist worldview, is revolution the solution? It seems to me, this is just my own perception, and maybe you have a different one, Jeff, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this. But it seems to me like more and more, there seems to be a kind of Anarchy that is appealing to a lot of young people when you see Antifa in the streets or you see marches and this kind of thing. We've always had some of that, but it seems like it's gotten a little bit more heightened in the last several years, just given you know where we are politically and those sorts of things. What about the Christian perspective on revolution and some of the extreme views that we're seeing right now? The, the idea of revolution is that if you can identify and put people into two different groups and then force them to fight with one another, that in the bloodshed you will emerge to a higher state of being that will be closer to communism than it was before. Right. So uh, people are involved in revolution are always trying to get people to pick a fight with everybody else. A biblical worldview says, no, we, we lift one another up. We serve one another. 
And as we do that, our goal is to help the poor and the oppressed, but everybody really find justice and, and, and find a way to be better stewards of the opportunities and the situations that God has given to them. That's where real prosperity comes in the world. And in fact, if you look at nations historically, I was just reading a, uh, an article by Dr. Timothy Shaw from Baylor University and Georgetown University, and he said that countries that have this perspective, that, w- that they have religious freedom, but then they also have higher economic status for people and more political freedom as well. It really is the case, I think, when Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Wonderful. Uh, we should not just limit that to our own personal devotional lives. That's really true for the world, and it's desperately needed right now. Oh, it is. It is. And I know you're going to be addressing things like postmodernism and relativism and some of those isms that come up and uh, really affect all of us when it plays out on the streets. But something else I kind of zeroed in on was one of the speaker interviews will be addressing, do I have to go to church? And what a different question that sounds like now than it sounded like six months ago, because in so many cases you can't go. And I'm wondering Mm -hmm. if that will make a difference if this is a time in which the Lord is working in our lives to really make us appreciate in-person church and the importance of being part of a visible body of Christ, not just staying home and doing your own thing all the time or doing everything through some sort of a, a video live stream like we've all had to do. Really important point. Uh, one of the things we t- communicate to our students is that church isn't a place you go. It's something that we are yeah. together. And, and once we see that, then we realize, oh, we, we, even if we are at home watching on the video, then we still need to find that community and be a part of it, a worshiping community of people who are committed to one another, committed to sharing the gospel, committed to bringing blessing to the nations of the earth. We try to give students an exciting vision for that rather than just something, that, oh, well, this is one more place I go for entertainment and the entertainment's not really that good. Uh, if we start to see that, no, we are the church, This we are the body of Christ, this is our opportunity for our generation to raise our hand and say, count me in, I want to be among those who make a difference. Yeah, that's great. Something else you're going to be discussing is relationships, various aspects of relationships, such as dating and marriage and these important issues that face all of us as Christians. Do you find that that students are really receptive and appreciate that kind of training? Because it seems like the world is just getting all of the front burner attention from so many teenagers now on, on what they should think about those topics. And I think a lot of students are really hungry for Christian advice on those sorts of issues. Have you found that to be the case when you have done these sorts of interactions with students that, oh, thank you so much for giving me a grounded biblical view on these things, because I never hear it much of anywhere else, maybe just at church, but not much of any place else when I go online. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's right, Jana. For some students, it's a hard sell. They want to form their own views because they want to maintain autonomy over their own lives. But we're finding more and more students, especially those who have become addicted to pornography or have been involved in sexual activity, and they, they just, it's not bringing them the satisfaction that they were hoping for. They're, they come to us and ask the question, what is a biblical sexual ethic? What they're asking is not, you know, tell me what the rules are so I know how close to breaking them I can get. What they're asking is, is there any rescue from the meaninglessness of my culture, especially as it relates to my sexuality? Good. 
Good. Well, right. And that's, I mean, what a, what an incredible opportunity for ministry at a time like this. We certainly have our challenges cut out for us. But this is really good stuff. And I appreciate, too, that you guys are going to be having this meeting on Wednesday, May 20th. And I know you'll be covering some important things there, right, for parents. That's part of what you're going to be doing. Yes, that's right. Yes, exactly. So they'll, everybody will get an idea of what it's like. You'll get to use the platform. Uh, one thing you'll notice when you see our platform is that there's a, an extra button called Mentor Chat. 24 hours a day, you can get in touch with someone if you have questions about anything at all. Because we don't want students to you know, sit there and be watching a lecture and thinking, boy, I really need to talk to somebody about my faith or something serious, how I'm feeling. We want them to have a chance to really have those conversations. Well, terrific. Well, go to summit.org. You can find out more about Summit Virtual. Dr. Jeff Myers, thank you so much for what you do, Jeff. God bless you, and thanks for being with us. Thank you, Janet. Lord bless you. Lord bless you as well. We'll be right back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. I want to talk a little bit about Illinois. I have to talk about Illinois, not just because I'm originally from there, but because it's so out of control there. And I saw a map today online where they were talking about all of these states that have been so tyrannical against their citizens concerning these executive orders and shut down churches and have multiple phases to their reopenings. And boy, it's just kind of interesting how they all turn out to be blue states. It's it's the red states that want to kind of help people get back to work and make sure that they can have livelihoods. What a concept. But here are some of the latest developments in the state of Illinois related to the pandemic and specifically against churches. This is Christian Post. A judge has ruled now in favor of an Illinois order that prohibits in-person religious gatherings of more than 10 people rejecting the request of two churches who sought an exemption. You'll recall, we've talked about this, Elam Romanian Pentecostal Church of Chicago and Logos Baptist Ministries of Niles filed a lawsuit requesting a temporary restraining order against the enforcement of the state order. U.S. District Judge Robert Gettleman put out an opinion rejecting the request, arguing that the church's request for an injunction and blatant refusal to follow the mandates of the order are both ill-founded and selfish. Does that sound like a neutral judicial opinion to you? Or does it sound like there is a judge with an ax to grind against churches? You're just being selfish, wanting to be... You know, it has nothing to do with the Constitution, right? It's all just a bunch of selfish Christians. How dare you want to get together and worship, even though you're seeing these numbers coming down and the number of coronavirus cases is stabilizing throughout Illinois. And you have a number of downstate counties who are saying, why are we under the same sorts of lockdowns that they are in Cook County, where most of the cases are occurring? And, and a good number of those cases are in particular communities and in particular ethnicities. And, and doesn't that make a difference? So, no, no, you must do what Pritzker tells you to do. You must, you must. Gentlemen, 
wrote an injunction would risk the lives of plaintiffs' congregants as well as the lives of their family members, friends, coworkers, and other members of their communities with whom they come in contact. Well, yes, but wouldn't they also be risking their lives by going to Walmart and by going to grocery stores? Because you can do that. This is, I'm sorry, I know they don't like that particular point, but it is important. They would have to admit, if they were trying to be in any way scientific, that if you go into Walmart with no mask and no gloves, and you're walking around and you're not keeping a consistent six-foot distance away from somebody else, that you could potentially either contract the COVID-19 virus or you could inadvertently pass it along to somebody else. That does not mean certain death. That does not mean certain hospitalization. That does not even mean that the person who happened to contract COVID-19 would show up with any symptoms. But they're all trying to treat it like the bubonic plague. And I'm not saying it's not serious. And for families who've been affected by it, particularly those who have parents or grandparents in nursing homes, and the way it's gone down in New York is disgraceful. And I'm mad about that. I'm as mad as anybody else about how Cuomo has handled that situation. But let's be realistic. If we're looking at the larger populace, it's just not the case that like Ebola, which kills one out of two people who get it, we're not in an Ebola level here. And people are beginning to wake up. People are beginning to see this. People are beginning to fight back. People are beginning to file lawsuits. And I think that's important that people are waking up. There was a story in the San Francisco Chronicle. Did you see this? The rural Central Valley city of Atwater has declared itself a sanctuary city for businesses and churches that want to reopen in defiance of the California shelter-in-place policy aimed at curbing the spread of the coronavirus. Well, you know what? California loves sanctuary cities for its topics and its pet projects. Why can't somebody else declare a sanctuary city for COVID-19 freedom? I shouldn't say it that way. Freedom under COVID-19. Why not? You know, sanctuary cities are all the rage. At any rate, I wanted to play a little bit of this audio for you. NBC5 in Chicago reported that Governor Pritzker is now going on the attack against anybody who will not capitulate to his order. Now, I want to add this in before you listen to this, because The Hill reports business owners in Illinois could now face a Class A misdemeanor charge for opening their establishments in defiance of the stay-at-home order. It's true. The governor filed on Friday an emergency rule that would penalize owners of restaurants, bars, gyms, barbershops, and other businesses for reopening before coronavirus restrictions are lifted. That was from the New York Times. A Class A misdemeanor can carry a fine of up to $2,500 and a maximum jail sentence of one year. Tell me what right the state of Illinois or one man through an executive order has, legally has, to tell you, you have to go bankrupt because he will decide whether or not you can work. He will decide whether or not you can keep your business open and earn money that your family desperately needs. What constitutional or legal right does this man have to do this for any amount of time that he deems necessary or in his in his best interests? He could just arbitrarily keep you closed for months and months and months. They invent the rules, then they invent the punishment. You know, why don't the small business owners in the state of Illinois convene in Springfield and oust this guy? Why why should you be fined or why should you have to go to jail for opening your business and moving on with your life when we have this virus that is not over the top a killer virus? It just isn't. If you're if you're a normal, healthy person of, you know, younger ages, you're probably going to be just fine. 
So does that matter? Maybe not. I want to play a little bit of this for you from NBC5. This is cut one. The governor says any town, business or church that violates his order will endanger public health, break the law and face penalties. Here's NBC5's Patrick Fazio with reaction tonight. Patrick. Yeah, Rob, the governor warns businesses could be held accountable and might even lose their licenses if they reopen early. But tonight, more suburban mayors say their virus numbers are low enough to reopen now. And at least one Chicago church plans to keep holding services. We need to reopen them now. Pastor Christian Ionescu wants Governor Pritzker to fully reopen churches. The government is ignoring uh, our constitutional uh, right. The pastor and another church filed a lawsuit. Today, a federal judge ruled against them. They're appealing. We will continue to have services for as long as I'm not incarcerated. Pastor Ionescu opened his Elam Romanian Pentecostal church last Sunday with members socially distancing. He questions why gatherings are limited to 10. Well, we all kind of question that. What's magic about 10? Why isn't it 15? Why isn't it 16? We don't know. They just kind of pick a number and you're supposed to capitulate. So this is interesting. Let's go on with the report. Here's what Governor Pritzker said. Cut to. More people will get sick, get admitted to the hospital and die if we don't stay the course and follow the guidance the experts have provided. Governor Pritzker is defending his phased reopening plan for Illinois, divided into four regions. We're really not asking the governor to do anything different than he has already proposed. Woodstock Mayor Brian Sager and other McHenry County mayors are asking permission for their county to move forward. We now are not at phase two, which the whole state has been determined to be, but we are now at stage three and we're closing in on stage four. You weren't elected to do what's easy. You were elected to do what's right. The governor says counties might be denied government money. Counties that try to reopen in defiance may not be reimbursed by FEMA for damages they cause. We're trying not to be defiant, and we don't want to be characterized that way. We're trying to be characterized as working collaboratively with the governor's office. The governor says most, if not all, of Illinois is on track to move to phase three at the end of the month. That would reopen places like retail stores, offices, barbershops, and salons with restrictions. All right, I want to add in this particular point. We know that Professor Lockdown, as they call him, Neil Ferguson from the Imperial College London, and he was the guy with the unreliable model to begin with. Uh, He was the one who was busted for violating the lockdown to be with his girlfriend. (laughs) But anyway, from the Daily Mail, scientists have leveled a flurry of criticism against Professor Neil Ferguson's modeling, which warned 500,000 people could die from coronavirus and prompted Britain to go into lockdown. The epidemiologist who stepped down from the government sage group at the start of May has been described as totally unreliable by other experts. But see, listen to Pritzker. We must do what the experts tell us to do. Who are these experts? How do we know they're right? That's partly why you see so many Americans saying, forget this, I'm going to open back up. And what about the law? We're going to come back to that in a moment. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. Stay with us. Hi, this is Kirk Cameron, and I am honored to be partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to help moms choose life. Actor Kirk Cameron supports Preborn. 
my four oldest children were adopted, that is because of caring and compassionate people who help those young mothers choose life. My wife is an adopted child and her birth mother chose life for her. If it weren't for those caring individuals that help those young moms value the sacredness of life, I wouldn't have my wife, I wouldn't have my four adopted children, and the two natural born children that we have wouldn't exist either. My whole family is here because of people that are involved with ministries like Preborn. Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Mefford today to support the ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Pregnancies. A gift of $22 will provide one ultrasound, and every gift helps. To donate, please call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved, and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. Well, as the Telegraph pointed out, the coding that produced the sobering death figures from Professor Neil Ferguson, the lockdown professor, was impossible to read, and therefore it cast doubts on the strength of these coatings. And it's about 13 years old. And when other scientists tried to replicate the findings using the same model, they weren't able to do so. And his model is understood to have single-handedly triggered a dramatic change in the government's handling of the outbreak and what his predictions were failed to pass. But you have Governor J.B. Pritzker of Illinois saying, we're going to keep you locked down. And if you open up your businesses, you're going to be fined or potentially thrown in jail. Why are you putting up with this? People in Illinois, why are you putting up with this? You ought to be storming Springfield. Seriously, you should be storming Springfield in a respectful way, law-abiding way, and protesting this guy and telling him you can't arrest all of us, which is true. You can't. Nobody wants anybody to die, but this is overreach. Not only is it overreach, I thought this was quite an interesting thing, and I'm going to pay a little bit of attention to this. There is a group called the Edgar County Watchdogs. They have a blog called Illinois Leaks, and they have an article here printed just recently, April 17th, Illinois Governor Pritzker, the king has no clothes. Now listen to this for a moment. It's time to once again expose why we believe many parts of the numerous executive orders the governor has issued are outside his authority. Statutory Construction is the foundation for our position, and simply reading the powers given supports the position the governor invoked powers never given. For example, they cite this particular part of the law to suspend the provisions of any regulatory statute prescribing procedures for conduct of state business or the orders, rules, and regulations of any state agency if strict compliance with the provisions of any statute, order, rule, or regulation would in any way prevent, hinder, or delay necessary action, including emergency purchases, by the Illinois Emergency Management Agency in coping with the disaster. 
Now, why does that matter? I know that's kind of legalese. The only power given to the Illinois governor regarding statutes is found in that provision I just read. And it is very clear those powers are limited to those statutes that are regulatory statutes that prescribe procedures for the conduct of state business, orders, rules, and regulations of state agencies, but only if strict compliance, their provisions would in any way prevent, hinder, or delay necessary action to include emergency purchases by I. EMA in coping with the disaster. So the question you have to ask, does the statute the governor is suspending in his executive order fit the very narrow limitations found in that paragraph? The other key question that must be asked, how do the statutes being suspended hinder or delay necessary action by the IEMA in coping with the disaster? Now, they go through pages and pages of times where Pritzker has issued emergency orders that do not fit that particular provision in state law that give him that power. Why aren't more people talking about this? And there are lots of different examples of this. He issued an executive order on March 26th, suspending all admissions to the Illinois Department of Corrections from all Illinois County jails. So they ask, can anyone explain how those to be transferred from county jail to IDOC would hinder or delay necessary action by the IEMA in coping with the disaster? Do you see what I'm getting at? And they have some other things here related to the coronavirus. Does, does he really have the authority to do what he's doing? Does anybody care? See, the rule of law matters. And I'll tell you why this matters even more when you stretch it out a little bit and look at it from a higher vantage point. This is something that David Horowitz talked about. When we talk about freedom, when we talk about liberty in any situation, when we talk about the First Amendment provisions of the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion and the freedom to assemble, these sorts of things could never have been possible had it not been for Christianity. Now, I want to go and play some of this for you because I think this is very significant. David Horowitz from Front Page Magazine, and I've had him on the show a number of times, He is a former leftist radical. He's a conservative writer now. He is Jewish. He's not a Christian. He's agnostic. But he sees the importance of the church in particular to American society. I want to play for you David Horowitz's reaction to what Illinois in particular is doing to churches. He's asked, is there an ulterior motive here by Newsmax TV? This is cut three. This has nothing to do with the coronavirus you're talking about Illinois, where that mayor uh, banned, uh, closed the barbershops, but she got herself a haircut, didn't she? They, the argument is that churches are not an essential institution, but abortion mills are. Uh, all you need to know about this is on Easter Sunday, the holiest day in the Christian calendar, they closed the churches and opened the jails to let the criminals out. Um, th- there's no rhyme or reason to these um, strictures that they put on. I would argue that religion and churches, and particularly Christian churches, are the most essential institutions in American life. And I say this as an agnostic Jew who's non-observant. I say this as an American. Isn't that interesting? He sees the importance of the church in ways that I think right now many so-called Christian leaders don't see. Because I'm, I'm hearing from people like Russell Moore, of course, saying you should just really rejoice in the shutdown and figure out creative ways of staying home and not going to church and not loving your neighbor, these sorts of things. Because you wouldn't be loving your neighbor if you went to church. Where does the Bible say that? 
thou shalt not go to church during a pandemic, even if thou shalt be social distancing. Where's that verse? I've never seen that verse. Horowitz goes on to explain why he thinks the church is so fundamental to American freedom. Cut four. Every freedom that we hold dear, every value, equality, liberty, tolerance, inclusion, all originated as Christian ideas. This country was settled and founded. 98% of the people who did that were Protestant Christians, and they were fleeing religious persecution like this uh, in Europe. If you don't understand the Christian vision of human beings, that we are the problem, it's not patriarchies, it's not races, it's not corporations that are the problem. The problem is all of us as individuals. That's the central teaching, really, of Christianity. We're flawed beings. You don't understand where your freedoms come from or why they're so necessary or why you have to put up with people uh, that you're very angry with. That is such a significant point he's making there. Were it not for Christians, you guys would not want things like tolerance and inclusion. Those are fundamentally Christian ideas. The idea that every human being matters. That is a Christian idea. It's absolutely a Christian idea. And yet you have all these leftist radicals, especially younger ones who don't know anything of the Bible, who don't see why they have to put up with anybody else's opinion. But he really nails the idea, doesn't he? That the fundamental truth, and I wouldn't say it's the fundamental truth, but it's one of the fundamental truths, is that we're sinners. This is exactly what the founders understood. Why do you think they built in so many checks and balances into our system of government? They knew that man is flawed. And the central part of Christianity is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, sent Jesus to the cross to die for our sins and to rise again for our justification. That's the gospel. That's what it's all about. Our problem is sin. Our solution is Jesus Christ. One more cut I want to get in. David Horowitz is asked about all of this tyranny going on all around us, and he asks, he is asked actually, who is driving this? Cut five. The Democratic Party has been taken over by radical leftists. There are a lot of decent people in the Democratic Party. There are a lot of religious people. There are a lot of pro-life people in the Democratic Party, but they're not running the party. The people who are running the party uh, see Christianity, see religious people as an obstacle to their plans to turn America into a socialist state. It's as simple as that. It is as simple as that. And knowing that, And then looking at the Cuomos and looking at the Pritzkers, that ought to change how you view opening up your church, folks. It really should. In fact, I was gratified to see there was a story in the Chicago Tribune that Brian Gibson, who was on our show last week, talking about his peaceablygather.com online petition. There were several hundred church leaders, including some in Illinois, who've signed that petition. And there were some churches who had uh, went ahead and opened up in Illinois over the weekend. God bless them. You know why it matters? Mike Adams, the pro-life professor who writes for some other publications now, is tweeting out his frustrations about what's happened in North Carolina. He said, OK, in North Carolina now, we have... The this ability to move indoors because this judge blocked the governor's order there in that state. But he said that never should have happened in court. It should have happened because of civil disobedience, because the Christians would not comply with an unconstitutional order to stop 
worship altogether, public worship altogether. Where are the Christians? Where are the Christians? Where are the Christians? It's a great question, Mike Adams. I couldn't stand up and applaud you any louder than I am, at least in my head. Because you're right. Where are the Christians? If the Christians don't stand up for liberty, if the Christians don't stand up for the Constitution, who are you waiting for to stand up and do it? The church is the most important institution in the society. It always has been. It always will be. And cowardice is not going to help us. So let's stand up for the right to freedom of assembly and freedom of religion. And let's get back to church. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time here on Janet Mefford Today.